And how many way too early top 25 college football teams do we think BYU will beat next year? Have this is seen, BYU Sports Have you seen our forecast and Florida's <laughs> forecast? <laughs> I have. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. We're not talking about him as a player. He's he's more analyst role today. Jimmer Fredette joins the program from Denver. Jimmer, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? It's it's snowing pretty well here today. So I know you guys got smashed the other day. Yeah, we got it uh, over the weekend. Not so much now, but Saturday night certainly. Uh, it, it, BYU didn't get smashed, but it was it was a tough night in the Marriott Center to one lose and two. Kind of the last couple of minutes got away from BYU. Certainly Trevin Nell was unbelievable in this game, but there wasn't a ton more. What do you see in the first Big 12 game ever for BYU men's basketball? Yeah, you know, obviously a lot of emotion. Um, you know, BYU and, and The Rock was, was going crazy. They were excited. They've been building up to this moment for the last two years, knowing that this was going to happen. So I think everybody was on edge, ready for this to go. And uh, sometimes that happens. You have a little too much adrenaline at the beginning. Your shots go a little bit long. It feels a little bit different than your normal games that you've played in so far. Uh, a little bit more hectic, and that's just kind of how it goes. And then you try to settle down into it and, and go. But Cincinnati did a great job of just slowing the game down, I thought. Um, and we, it's such an interesting thing because in the Big 12, most teams are pretty run and gun, kind of like BYU is. But I feel like Cincinnati is the most contrasting style that BYU will play against. They like to slow it down. They're just a, a gritty team that's going to play hard defense and want to score in the 60s, 70s like it was. So they, they controlled the tempo, I thought. And, uh, you know, it was, was a tough game, but there's no reason to necessarily panic as a BYU fan or as a team at this point. Jimmer, uh, BYU shot 46 threes, and I'm going to assume that to, to your ears that just sounds amazing to be able to shoot 46 <laughs> threes in a game. Look, it, the way I look at it is I know a lot of people, if, every team wants balance. You want to have a little bit of balance, but this team is built to, to play like this. They're built to shoot like this. The shots just didn't fall. Any concern on the live by the three, die by the three situation that we're seeing right now? There, I mean, there's always a little bit of a concern because if you aren't making them, obviously it's going to be difficult to win basketball games, especially in the Big 12. But that's, like you said, that's the way they're built. They have a lot of guys that can catch and shoot the basketball. Um, but the thing that I'm most concerned about is that not all of those threes were quality threes, right? Not every three is quite created equally. They're getting a lot of threes up, and the best threes that they get normally are in transition. So if they can get a stop, get out and transition, find Trevin, find Noah, find, find Jackson, some of those guys in the corners or running the wings. They're getting really good shots. They're moving the ball. I saw a couple of great possessions in the transition where they're passing it. Then there's a swing, swing into a wide open shot. That's when they're at their most advantage. Uh, but towards the end, you know, Cincinnati did a good job slowing it down, making shots, getting fouled a lot, making uh, BYU play in a half court. And then at that point, we have to find a guy that can generate good threes if that's what we want to do. Not necessarily just shooting it, but being able to create for other people. And I felt like we didn't get great threes towards the end of the game. We were kind of just shooting them up. And because of that, I felt like we were shooting a lower percentage. Yeah, and that happens, right? It's like in football, if uh, you know, if the quarterback threw 40-plus passes, it probably means you were trailing by two scores late and you're chucking it. BYU ends up chucking it late there. BYU third nationally in the amount of, uh, you know, the percentage of threes against all shots, second nationally in the amount of points from threes. 
BYU seems to get to the rim and has good uh, cutting with five out with Ali Khalifa and whatnot. And it seems like sometimes they get to the rim to draw that defender for a three. Does BYU need to consider yep. maybe going up on that shot at the rim a little more? Or was this one game and we shouldn't panic? I think it's a little bit of both. We shouldn't panic, obviously, like I said in the beginning. Um, you know, this is a winnable game in the Big 12. There's not going to be many games that you play that's easier than this, per se, which is you know, the testament to how good the big 12 is, but at the same time, I think we need to try to get to the rim, try to finish, but also sometimes, you know, those guys are lengthy, they're athletic, hard to finish, maybe create a little bit more fouls. I thought the discrepancy in the foul count being 24 to 10, I believe it was towards Cincinnati was a huge deal, right? They were able to make a ton more free throws. I think they made 19 out of 24 or something around those where we made five out of 10. I mean, that's 15 more points that they had from the free throw line. So if we can generate some more free throws, be able to get to the line. Obviously, we're not shooting amazing from the free throw line, uh, but I think we have capable free, uh, free throw shooters that if they get to the line, get into the rhythm, that they can make those. So I think that's something that we need to focus on, maybe drawing a little bit more contact, getting some more fouls. Um, and then that's going to create guys being able to help. We can kick out for more open threes. Um, but yeah, getting to the rim, getting fouled is something that you can do, especially when you're not shooting the ball great. I know overall it was an off night for a lot of guys. One of those guys was certainly not Trevin Nell. What did you make of his performance? The nine threes and in and Jimmer, it looked effortless. He he was so locked in. Oh yeah, he was locked in, and uh, you know how uh, that feels once that ball goes in. You get two, three in a row, and you're just like, all right, this is this is going to be my night. But yeah, we same, have no idea. The thing what about it is like, like come on. You know, we have no idea. <laughs> Jeremiah, you did it the other day. You did it the other day at the gym. I, know I did. That. I did. I did. Um, like once so, in a blue moon. <laughs> yeah no but when you're locked in like that not only are your shots going in but i believe a lot of times you make the right play so you know in, in, in that case i feel like we need to try to get that ball to trevin as much as we could because not only could he shoot the ball but if he was getting to the basket he would make the right play and guys would over help and then he could get it to the right people to get over um open easier shots and sometimes that's the the way that teams play especially when you're shooting the ball so well to be able to get the ball and then be creative, you're aggressive, you're kind of in a zone, and the right play finds you when you're in that type of rhythm. Um, so, yeah, he uh, for him to be able to get the ball more probably should have happened down the stretch, um, you know, but he, he was out for a long period of time. I think it cooled him off a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you know, I feel like we needed to, to try to feed him the ball as much as we could because it was, it was effortless last night for him. Yeah, he sat out for 5.50 game time. It felt like maybe he comes in a little sooner than that. Maybe he knocks down a three. Once he hit nine, which is tied for the most you made in the game, right? Um, it felt like with, yeah. there were like 10 minutes left. I thought the record was going down. Unfortunately, he doesn't uh, you yeah. know, uh, get in and make another one there. But what, how's, do you think this year that record goes down? We've seen Jackson Robinson with eight, Trevin with nine. Do you think at some point, I guess we're in Big 12 play, uh, but it happened Saturday, that someone makes 10 or 11 in a game? I mean, it's definitely possible with how many uh, threes that they shoot and the guys that are such good shooters. Um, it's it's possible that it could happen. Um, you know, that record's going to be broken at some point, whether it's next, this year, next year, the year after, whatever it is. I mean, with the amount of threes that, that this team is shooting, it's it's going to happen. So, But just to go back to Trevin point, I mean – you know, he was out for, for five minutes and I get coach. He was, um, you know, he said he had a good match. He wanted these matchups and, you know, felt like this was the, the right play at the right time. So I, I get it. And, uh, you know, that's what coach coach wants to do at the same time. Uh, if that was the case, then I would have tried to get Jackson Robinson going at that point. 
right? He only had seven shot attempts, I think, during that game, two for seven. And I, I said this before, you know, earlier when I was in studio before that, sometimes when you're coming off the bench, you don't get the shot attempts that you would that if you're in the starting lineup. So I feel like when Trevin was out of the game, Jackson was a guy that could have gotten going. We just didn't know if he had it that night or not because he didn't shoot the ball very much. So he needed to try to get him, I think, more involved if Trevin is out, make him the playmaker, make him the shooter and scorer, see how that goes, and then continue to give Trevin back in once once he tries that out. So it was it was definitely something that I was looking at. Up next, BYU heads to Waco, and, and it'll, it'll be a, a completely different style of team than what BYU faced against the Bearcats. What, what are you looking for for BYU to do in order to try and bounce back against uh, against the Bears on uh, on Tuesday night? Yeah, for BYU, it's short-term memory loss. That's what my brother used to always tell me every time I shot a shot. If I made it or missed it, it didn't matter. The next one was going in, right? So this is the same thing in this situation. You know, you learn from your mistakes, but it's over with, right? There's nothing you can do about it. So now you go on to the next opponent, which is a, obviously a really great opponent in Baylor. Uh, but it's a similar style of play. They're going to be more run and gun. I think they're averaging 88 points per game. And they're first in three-point percentage uh, in the country, I believe, yep. which is incredible. Obviously, they're shooting the basketball extremely well. That's something that BYU likes to do. So it's going to be a battle of three-point shots. Whoever's making them, whoever's generating good three-point shots and making those high percentage is probably going to win this game. If BYU upsets Baylor on the road, does that make up for the Cincinnati loss? I wouldn't say it makes up for it, but it definitely helps, right? Uh, you know, like I said, uh, Cincinnati at home, that's a that's a winnable game. That's a game that, you know, you would look at the schedule and be like, all right, this is the one that we, we need to win. Um, but at the same time, once you go into Baylor, and if you beat Baylor, that's a, you know, a top 15 opponent. Uh, so because of that, you're going to be able to, you know, get the quad one win. It's going to be super important. But like I said, in the Big 12, you're going to take your lumps. You're, you're going to lose games. It's okay to lose games. You just have to be prepared, have that short-term member ask to come into the next game and be able to be prepared and have the right mindset to go win that game. Um, so it wouldn't completely erase it, but it would obviously help, and they can move on on a good note going to UCF. So, All right, Jimmer, uh, besides family home evening, of course, uh, will you be tuning into the national championship game tonight, and who you got? Oh my goodness! Yes, of course. I'm a I'm a massive football fan, big college football fan. Um, so I'm, I'm locked in. I have a, a good friend actually from Colorado that that plays on the Michigan football team. His name is Andrew Gentry. Uh, he's a good family friend of my wife's. So I'm probably going to be rolling with with Michigan. Um, hopefully they can get a win. But obviously Michael Penix Jr. is incredible. He's been playing unbelievable, and they're fast, and he, they can throw and spread it out. So it's going to be contrasting styles. Um, I'm excited to see it, but I think uh, I think Michigan's going to take it, and uh, their defense is going to just overpower a little bit and get to the quarterback and uh, then run it out. So I think uh, I think it's Michigan. Whoever wins, they're finally going to join BYU and having a not split national championship since uh, you know uh, in the last 40, 50 years. Um, Andrew Gentry, by the way, yeah. uh, the Church did an article on him. He's single. He's in a bishopric. In his singles ward, he's yeah. Jim Harbaugh was asking him about yeah. that the other day. Pretty cool stuff, yeah. Andrew Reppin uh, with Michigan, which is pretty cool. Jimmer, we appreciate the time, and I did want to ask you how often you dust off the Naismith over your left shoulder there. 
Oh yeah, uh, every day come in, squeak it, squeaky clean. You know what I mean? I got my, I got special specific stuff to put on it. You know, so of course. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's hanging out there. I mean, my, it's, I'm lucky that it's still standing with my kids jumping on all of my stuff and <laughs> hanging on everything. So yeah, I'm trying to just salvage it and make sure it's not not broken at this point. So <laughs> well, I think you have the best Zoom background of anyone. Yes, ever. that's amazing. Uh, it looks great. The lighting's amazing. Well done by Whitney and the, appreciate that. We appreciate it, Jerry. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Jimmer. Yeah, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Jimmer Fredette joining us, uh, breaking down BYU Cincinnati Baylor. He's he's getting pretty good at this. Yeah, the analyst thing. Yeah, well, look. The what Jimmer can this guy do? Honestly, the guy whatever he puts his mind to, he's going to do. That's and pretty the awesome. The fact that we can just get Jimmer on a Monday morning. Let's hey, let's talk some let's talk some college basketball. And Jimmer's like, sure, let's do it. That's how we roll. That's how we J- roll. Jimmer's one of the homies. All right, BYU basketball with Mark Pope is on Wednesday this week, so a date change as the head coach of the Cougars will recap the Cougars' first week of Big 12 play. Wednesday, 8.30 Eastern time on the BYU TV app as well as on ESPN+. Which Cougars in the NFL are headed to the playoffs in the NFL? And uh, men's volleyball took care of business over the weekend. This is BYU Sports. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Welcome back to Studio B. I'm Jerem. He's Jason. Let's get to today's headlines. All right, number 12, BYU Basketball drops the Big 12 opener against Cincinnati on Saturday night, losing 71-60 to fall to 12-2 on the season and 0-1. In Big 12 play, Trevin Nell provided the lone spark offensively for the Cougars, scoring 27 points and making nine threes, which tied it for the second most in a game in BYU history. Up next, a road trip to Waco against Baylor coming up tomorrow night. Still waiting on the AP poll. I'm guessing BYU be 18. Women's basketball loses 80 to 75 to Iowa State. Fall to 0-3 in Big 12 play. BYU had an eight-point lead in the second half, five-point lead late in the game. Cougars were Led by Kaylee Wilson's 18 points, Lauren Gustin's 70th career double-double, 14 and 14 for her. Next game at Houston on Wednesday. Let's go get that first Big 12 win. Let's go. BYU football signs four-star safety Falatau Satuala from Bountiful High School to add to their 2024 recruiting class. Satuala picked BYU over Utah and UCLA and announced his commitment at the 2024 All-American Bowl. Love it. Cougars in the NFL. Puka Nakua, four catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown for the Rams in a 21-20 win over the Niners. He broke the NFL rookie, receiving records for both yards and receptions in the win. Congratulations. That is big time. Kyle Van Noy, two tackles and a sack for the Ravens in a 17 loss to the Steelers. Kevian had a career-high nine sacks despite playing in just 14 games. Remember, he was picked up late. Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams helped the Saints beat Tyler Algiers. Falcons 48-17. Hill had 79 yards of offense on 10 touches. Jamal had 14 carries for 26 yards. A controversial touchdown there at the end. Oh, we'll get to that in a minute. Algier had six carries for 24 yards and 10 receiving yards in the line. Staying with Cougars in the NFL, Kyrus Tonga had two tackles and a tackle for loss in the Vikings 30-20 loss to the Detroit Lions. Zane Anderson had a tackle for the Packers in their 17-9 victory over the Chicago Bears. And now, with the NFL playoffs now officially set, seven of the 14 playoff teams feature former Cougars, including Fred Warner on the Niners, Puka Nakua and the Rams, Andy Reid and my Chiefs, Kyle Van Oy and the Ravens, Sione Takitaki and the Browns, Chris Brooks and the Dolphins, as 
well as Zane Anderson and the Packers. Men's volleyball, number nine in the country, swept number 11 Ball State back-to-back -back nights on the first two matches of the year. Luke Benson, 23 kills across the two, makes Raman a 16, component around 12. Benson had 17 kills alone on night one at 727, incredible. Up next for BYU, a trip to Loyola, Chicago, who just took down Hawaii in Hawaii on Thursday. BYU Gymnastics places fourth in the Mean Girls Invitational. Great, by the way, great name, by the way. In Las Vegas over the weekend with a score of 195.900. The Cougars' performance was highlighted by Sydney Benson and freshman Ava Jorgensen, who tied for the highest score on the vault with a 9.875, and Anissa Alvarado's 9.950 on the bars was good for second in the meet. Up next is the Sprouts Farmers Market Collegiate Quad at the Maverick Center on Saturday. Women's tennis has uh, 21 singles victories, including two from Bobo Huang in the Weinman Foundation Invitational in Hawaii. They also had 10 doubles victories. And the UFL draft was held over the weekend. Five former BYU players were selected. Diane Lake with the Houston Roughnecks, Troy Woyner with the Memphis Showboats, Kai and Samson Nakua with the Michigan Panthers, and Tomasi Laulile with the Arlington Renegades. That's the combination of the USFL and the XFL. Yes. And Kai and Samson, their rent just got cut in half. So well done for uh, those guys. <laughs> to wrap up today's headlines, let's look at the other men's hoops games around the Big 12 and men's basketball with this weekend, starting with number two, Kansas, uh, 83, TCU 20, uh, 81. Came down to the wire, yeah. controversial flagrant foul call there. Hunter Dickinson, 30 points in the win, including the game winner with three seconds left. All right, number three, Houston defeating West Virginia, and it wasn't even close, 89-55. Mm. The Cougars in red picking up their first Big 12 win ever. Uh, battle has been on fire for the Mountaineers, but was held to just four points after 29, 29, and 24 in the last three games. So he was held in check to say the great least. Great defense. Number 11, Oklahoma beat Iowa State 71-63. All right, number 18, Baylor over Oklahoma State in overtime, 75-70. Obviously, the Cougars taking on the Bears tomorrow. Texas Tech went on the road and beat number 20, Texas, 78-67. Pop Isaacs led the Red Raiders game-high 21 points in the roadway. And K-State defeating fellow newcomer US, USF, UCF, 77-52 Wildcats over the Knights. Those are the headlines. Let's whip it. Google Whip Around is presented by Marist, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. All right, Jerem, yesterday the Saints were up 41-17 over the Falcons. They were going to win the game regardless. Return to pick uh, to the one-yard line with just a few seconds left. Instead of kneeling out the game like their coach told them to do, Jameis Winston and the Saints offense decided to get Jamal Williams his first rushing touchdown of the season. Falcons obviously were not happy. Uh, was this the right call as a BYU fan? <laughs> well, we like Jamal scoring, so as a BYU fan, sure. I am in the, ah, you should kneel that play. I understand it's the NFL, it's football. Hey, stop us if you want to, but I am in the, ah, the game's over, just kneel that. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. It's also pretty much lets you know how the Saints players feel about their head coach, Dennis Allen. Just he literally said, You're, you need to do this, and they said, we're going to go and do something else. Yep, that happened. After the break, ESPN's Trevor Maddich on the Cougar football offseason, the hiring of TJ Woods, and who he's got in Michigan, Washington, for the Natty tonight. This is BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation.
Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Jerem Jordan alongside Jason Shepard. Loaded guest lineup today. Jimmer Fredette breaking down basketball. We now bring in, for the final Maddich Monday of this college football season, Trevor Maddich of ESPN, college football national champion with the BYU Cougars. Trevor, welcome back to the program on this national championship Monday. It's great to be back, guys. It's a culmination of a, of a long season that's had tremendous drama in every way. This game tonight between Michigan and Washington is going to be fantastic. It's going to be fun. We'll ask you about it in just a moment. Let's talk BYU first. Uh, your old position at BYU, the offensive line, has hired a new coach in TJ Woods. What do you make of this hire and what impact do you think he could have? I love this hire. I think this is as close to a home run hire as they could have made at that position. He, coach Woods has made every offensive line he's coached better. At Western Kentucky, the yards per carry went way up. The sacks went way down. At UNLV, he coached two consecutive 1,000-yard rushers, and his line was blocking for them. And it was two different guys, one Aiden Robbins, who then transferred to BYU. And at Wisconsin – he coached an offensive line in front of running back Melvin Gordon, who became one of the most storied statistical running backs in NCAA history. And so he, he's got the track record. The fruit is on the tree for improvement and immediate improvement. And part of the reason for that is that he's known as a technician. He teaches the techniques of how to play offensive line, the footwork, the hand placement, all those different things. What do you do when, when things go wrong and the defender gets the upper hand on you? How do you reset? How do you respond and adjust? These are things that he is known to excel at. And I think that's part of the reasons why you've had some key offensive linemen return to BYU this year instead of transferring out to be coached by this guy because I think he'll make these alignment not just better college players. He'll prepare them for the NFL in ways that, that are important. Trevor, BYU picked up a, a big four-star uh, recruit, a safety, over the weekend. So everyone's kind of talking about some of the recruiting stuff. And uh, according to 24-7 uh, Sports, BYU had the number seven or currently has the number seven recruiting class among all Big 12 teams. And we did double-check. That's including all of the new schools that are coming in this upcoming season. Now, what do you make of that? Seventh overall in the Big 12, is that good enough, do you think? Yeah, I think in the, in the first uh, after the first full season in the Big 12, I think it's fantastic. When you look at the trajectory of it, I mean, if you take a look at these teams in the Big 12 now and last year's recruiting rankings, I think BYU would have been 12th. And so they, they moved up, and they're still not fully ramped up with all the relationships that they will continue to develop in the Big 12 footprint with high school coaches. So I, th I think it's terrific. And plus, Coach Satake has been very clear that his first priority with players is that they be a good fit for the program and the program be a good fit for them. That this has always been a, a team that has excelled when the the whole is more than the sum of the parts. And that's, that is when players understand all of the things that make BYU a destination, not just NIL money, not just an opportunity to play right away. And so Coach Satake and his staff have been emphasizing that. And I think that the, the recruiting ranking is great from a standpoint of what it was last year, how they've improved on it, how they will continue to improve on the ranking. But the kind of player that they're bringing in, I think, is even more important. To that end, is BYU sort of in the Kansas State, Iowa State space of we hope to be consistently good and occasionally we're going to have that one year like Kansas State had last year winning the Big 12? Or does BYU need to get the NIL money to attract certain kind of talent to get to the level where they are competing for Big 12 championships? Can they do it as is 
over the next couple of years? Or do they need that money at some point to get to the next level? Oh, they need mo both. And w without the money, then they'll have a ceiling because they won't be able to get as many of the high-end talented players that they'll need to make plays, the playmakers. You need those guys to compete at the highest level. And because of the economic powerhouse that the I-15 corridor is, there, there's no reason in the world why that can't continue to grow. But I see that as something that is, is a synergy with the kind of player that they want to bring in. It's not just that, okay, well, we can only get that, that BYU kind of guy who's coachable and he's got that kind of moral character. If it were only that, they could be a competitive program. But by harnessing it also to the NIL potential of that corridor, I think that you've got a, a potential for BYU to have, once again, the synergy to give them edges in, in recruiting. And this year, they have beaten other Power 5 teams for a number of recruits. And that's something that used to be very, very rare. Well, the transfer portal is still alive and well, and uh, it's going to be around for the foreseeable future, to say the very least. Uh, is there a position or maybe positions that you would like to see BYU still address between now and the start of the season? Yeah, there, there are several that they could. One is running backs, since Aiden Robbins is announced for the NFL. L.J. Martin's terrific, but he was banged up. Last year, it would be good to have additional depth there. Hinkley Rapati uh, is coming off an injury, terrific running back. But I think I think depth there to replace Robbins would be important. And they've got other guys. Miles Davis, by the way, I'm very excited to see because he's a former receiver. And if he's able to show the coaches that, that he has maximized his potential at both running back and as a receiver, then from a personnel grouping standpoint, they've got some interesting things. But I would still bring in uh, some depth there. They always need more depth on the defensive line. Big guys who can run and who can rush the passers. That also includes linebackers as well. But they, they, Tyler Batty coming back and others coming back uh, is, is a huge boon. But they need to take a big step up in depth at the defensive line. And then with Eddie Heckard moving on at uh, corner, their, their, their secondary actually has a chance to be very, very good again this year. But to replace Eddie Heckard with another cover guy, you can't have too many cover guys because it just gives you too many opportunities to do things up near the line of scrimmage if you've got individuals that can run with all four or five receivers that could come out uh, uh, could, could come out into the pass pattern. So these are some positions that I think that they could add depth and, if possible, add a guy that could be more than just depth. After last offseason, uh, a lot of BYU guys transferred. They brought, BYU brought a lot of guys in. Uh, it was about half the roster was turned over. This year, there's not that kind of turnover. There's more continuity going into this year. BYU's not gone to the portal a ton quite yet. Perhaps they will later. They've signed a big class, many of which are, you know, are, some are going on missions, but a lot will actually come in and, and compete right away. What do you make of sort of the roster makeup going into year two of the Big 12? I like it. I like that they have brought in some key transfers, but at the same time, a place like BYU is a place that people tend to want to stay. I mean, they, they, last year they had a bunch of guys transfer out. Part of the reason was playing time. There were other reasons in terms of fit. But overall, if the fit is right, I think people will tend to stay at BYU. And then developing a program where you've got guys in the program for three, four years, five years even, is another thing that would be an advantage for BYU. And I think the fact that they had very few guys transfer out this year, certainly very few key contributors, uh, is an indication 
that those guys see that BYU is a place that they want to be and they want to make a home for their college football life and their their academic life. And so I like it that it's primarily high school recruits with some key junior college transfers, some key transfer portal guys. But over the course of time, if they're able to maintain that, it will mean they'll be able to field more experienced players who have played together under this staff longer. Trevor, the the decline of bowl games has been pretty evident over the last couple of years. And now with the transfer portal, you know, you you had always in the last couple of years, you'd have guys that would I mean, if they're going to go to the NFL, you know, they're they're not going they don't want to play and they're going to sit out. With the transfer portal, you're seeing even more and more guys that are not participating in teams bowl games. Is is there any way to salvage what bowl games used to mean? If you're something that's not, if you're outside of the college football playoff, or is that, is this just the new reality? It's the new reality, Jason, because the calendar has conspired to force guys into the portal maybe sooner than they would want to go. I mean, if you wait too long because you want to play with a bowl game, especially the bowl games that are later in December, then you enter the portal, you'd have to find a new home, which a lot of guys don't even find a new home. And then you've got to somehow get enrolled in some of these places in in early January. And that enrollment for the next semester is the thing that kind of squeezes them on the back end. Plus, we know that there are a lot of players that are still in the portal that entered it last year. They never did find a home. And so what you don't want to do is we have a bowl game at the end of December and a bunch of other guys in my position just entered the transfer portal weeks before I'm going to if I play in the bowl game. And maybe they'll fill up the slots at schools that I might want to go to. Now, there are some guys this year that, that played in their bowl, even though they were in the transfer portal. But that's kind of a rarity. So I, I don't blame the players for doing that. I don't think they disrespect the bowls for doing that. I think the calendar forces them to. But from a fan standpoint, you don't get to see some of the players that you saw play all year for your team. But what you are getting to see is next year's players come in and get an early look at them, and they will have a chance to get valuable experience for next year. So there's bad, but there's also good. It just depends on your perspective. Okay, Michigan and Washington tonight in the national championship. Who you got and why? This is a tough call, Jeremy. It's it's a really tough call. Uh, And uh, who I have is Michigan. I have them to win. And I ha- the why is that they've got more ways to win. This is really a, a matter of styles where there's there's always this this hypothetical talk of a of a boxing match between Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali in their prime. You know, Michigan is Mike Tyson, where he, they just march right up to you and start punching you in the face until you submit. Washington is like Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, this beautiful downfield passing attack. But that downfield passing attack is the way they need to win. Michigan will run the ball better. Michigan will play better defense. Washington's defense has been bend but break sometimes, don't break other times, stop drives because of takeaways and forcing mistakes. But Michigan is one of the most clean-playing offenses in college football in terms of fewest fewest, uh, turnovers, fewest penalties, things like that. I don't know that Washington will be able to force as much against the Michigan offense as they have in the past against other offenses. And so Michigan will be able to run the ball. They'll be able to stop the run. That core, I think, will be enough for Michigan to pull away late. Plus, Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback for Washington, was just lights out against Texas, especially under pressure. I mean, Texas didn't sack him, but they had 16 pressures. On those pressures, Penix was 60% 
averaging 10 yards per attempt. That's incredible. Can he do that again? Because his season average under pressure is 45%. And so it, it'll be an interesting thing to see if Washington can still play at that super high level against Michigan for the second game in a row. Maybe they can. Certainly they've got the talent to do a lot of things and have a puncher's chance with that passing attack. But I've got to take Michigan as the team that has more fundamental ways to win this game. Hey, hail to the victory. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media for content throughout the day on Facebook, X, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Welcome back to Studio B. I'm Jeremy. He's Dave. Here are today's headlines. Let's do it. Men's hoops fall six spots down to number 18 in the AP poll after the loss to Cincinnati. Cougars looking for their first Big 12 win in Waco tonight against 14th ranked Baylor. Pre-game coverage 8 Eastern on BYU Radio, followed by tip-off at 9 Eastern. Also, ESPN's Joe Lenardi has dropped BYU to a 6 seed in his latest bracketology, down from a 3 seed before the Bearcats game. Well, one game, three lines. Wow. wow. Luke Benson's the MPSF Offensive Player of the Week after totaling 23 kills, 7 digs, career-high 4 aces in 2 matches against number 11 Ball State last week. BYU stayed number 9 in the ABCA poll. They play number 10th ranked, the Fighting Sister Jeans of Loyola Chicago, Thursday. Former BYU defensive backs D'Angelo Mandel and Caleb Hayes were both signed to Futures contracts yesterday. Mandel signed with the Commanders, Hayes signed with the Giants. Uh, both players spent this past season on the practice squads with the teams that they signed with. We're proud of those guys. Wish them the best. Women's volleyball setter signing in now enrollee Alex Bowers, the Idaho State uh, Gatorade Player of the Year in her four years of Skyview in Nampa. Bauer and her teammates won four state titles, did not lose to a team from Idaho. That's pretty good. Yeah. She's the younger sister of Whitney and Eden, daughter of former Cougars Caroline and Danny. And she's in school now uh, practicing with the team. Fantastic. And to wrap up headlines, let's look at the men's hoops games across the Big 12 tonight outside of BYU Baylor. We start with number two Houston at Iowa State. Houston coming off a big 34-point win against West Virginia. Houston 70% chance to win that. Top defensive team in the country by efficiency at the moment. Interesting game, Texas at Cincinnati. Somehow the Longhorns are still ranked, coming off the loss to Texas Tech. Bearcats with that big win here in Provo. 65% chance to win, according to Ken Palm for Cincinnati. That'd be quite so the start for the, the Bearcats. The pressure is them at home in front of fans, yeah. in front of a Big 12 night. Home games matter in the Big 12 quite a bit. Kansas State at West Virginia Wildcats, three-point favorite from Ken Palm in Morgantown. West Virginia 5-9, and nine, only put up 55 points at Houston. But hey, Houston, again, is really good. Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. Cowboys lost to Baylor in overtime at home on Saturday. I mentioned the Red Raiders beat Texas in Austin, and now the Red Raiders are back in Lubbock, a 10-point favor, according to Ken Palm. Texas Tech will be in Provo in a couple of weeks. Those are today's headlines. Let's whip it now. We didn't Cougar. even mention where Pacific's playing. <laughs> no, we did not. <laughs> we don't care. Uh, the Cougar Whip Round is presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Five Big 12 teams included in ESPN's way too early top 25 for college football. It's not way too early. It's perfectly season. timed, Dave. Arizona at 9, Utah 13, yep. Oak State 18, Kansas State 21, Kansas 23. BYU plays uh, all five of them, four at home. What's your early prediction for BYU in those matchups? Really hoping for two and three. I yeah. would take two and three. Now, here's the thing. One or two of those teams won't finish ranked. Maybe even three. Who knows? 
But they, like, Arizona deserves the love because they retain coach and quarterback. Yeah. And they look good. And they looked good at the end of the year, um, especially when they did the haka. Everybody uh, else at dinner to so Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> um, Utah certainly expects to be good. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Kansas. That's interesting, right? It's going to be a new era of the Big 12. But uh, hopefully BYU plays well, surprises people. And they are a team that's ranked at some point. We'll yeah. see. Maybe we get that schedule next week. Let's hope. What do you think in the five games? I think about right. Two and three. Two and three. I'd like to go five and zero. Oh. Especially four at home. Four at home gives you a real chance. Two and three with one of those up in Salt Lake, that'd be all right. Yeah, that's right. Yesterday, New York Jets GM Joe Douglas spoke to the media to wrap up the season, was asked about Zach Wilson's future with the team. And we're we're, we're going to do what's right for the team, you know, and and so um, had a good good conversation with Zach, so we're going to get together after after these uh, player exit interviews and and get with the get with the staff and, and put our game plan together for the offseason. Are you open to trading it? Look, um, you guys know if, if, if the phone phone answers, I'm going to pick it up. Um, but, um, you know, I don't have a crystal ball into what what exactly is going to happen here in the future. Only in New York does the phone answer. The phone, the ceiling it's is the, the roof, the Jets. Uh, okay. said Michael Jordan. Uh, uh, yeah, he's out of there. He's out. You and I have a better chance of playing for the Jets next year. I think, I think uh, yeah. they're done with Zach, and Zach's done with them. Your other employer, the Deseret News, uh, they were the first to report this. Right. That, that Zach would be traded after the season. This is this is great for Zach. I want Zach out of there. I didn't want him there in the beginning. So I'm stoked. It just needs to be a spot where uh, potentially he gets an opportunity and he's ready for said opportunity and he has a line uh, that can work with him and an experienced, you know, learn, see and whatnot. Yeah. Get paid. Yeah. All that stuff. Please, almost anywhere else for Zach. Joe Lenardi, we mentioned a moment ago, has BYU as a six seed in his latest bracketology. Would you take that right now? I would take it right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would take any single digit seed number you'd throw at me. If you said it was a nine, I'd be like, mm, little, little disappointed, but uh, hoping for like a seven or better, meaning you are clearly the team that should win this game. I'd even take a five, even though the five twelves, the twelves win 50%. I'd take that. Anything. Single digit. Just like to get in. Just like to well, in. not just get I'd in. I want single did. I'd take Thank a you. six. Yeah, exactly. In case you missed any of the interviews or trending topics, Deep Blues, all our shows, our BYU sports content is always there for you at BYUSN.com. Up next, who better to talk to you about Puka Nakua than Austin Colley, who today we're told has a shirt on. What this season has meant historically and what the Cougars, what Cougars could play in the Super Bowl. This is BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Blaine Fowler now joins us uh, from his home in Provo. Blaine, how you doing, man? And uh, we look forward to the football schedule here, hopefully in a week. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing good. I wanted to come in with you guys, but you know, all the snow. I just couldn't make it because of all the snow. Well, <laughs> you should have Brenda out shoveling earlier than you do. <laughs> she's she's out shoveling right now. While I do this. Oh, gosh, get out of here. Hey, and you guys made me take my blurred background off. So this right here, that's James Christensen. Sometimes the spirit touches us through our weakness, which is uh, mm. which is oh, a see, really that's, cool. See, that's a lot better than what we had a minute. Yeah, ago. that's a, it, it's, it, it's one? one of my favorite one of my favorite pieces of James Christensen because it points out that um, you know as we're humbled, and this guy who's got this hunchback, as we're humbled, that's we we're more in tune with the spirit, and sometimes the spirit touches us through our weakness. So that's. 
We'll do a little art here to start today. How's that's that? Good. On the other wall, Snoop Dogg's greatest hits. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> well, certainly BYU, a uh, transition, was uh, humbled at times with the football schedule last year and uh, five and seven this close to a bowl game. Now we know the opponent's playing, but we don't know the dates per se. Uh, so what would be your ideal football schedule with two buys this year uh, for BYU? Right. Yeah, I, I like the idea of having a couple of buys. I, I agree with what you guys were talking about just a minute ago, and that is that um, the fact that you have two road um, preseason games is not ideal, right? And so th- this is what I've put together. And, and this, is, this is Tom Homo and BYU. Um, they're, they're, you know, we talk about loyal, strong, and true. They're loyal. And they had this contract with SMU, and most programs would have just said, no, nah, we're getting out of that. We're going to get somebody to come and play at our place. And they said, no, we're going to honor it. We're honorable. We're going to do it. I, so I got to give them kudos. I don't like that they go on the road to SMU in Wyoming, but let's get it over with right at the beginning. So you, you open it at home against Southern Illinois. That's set. That SMU game, um, uh, I would say you stick in there on the 7th and then at Wyoming on the 14th. That's another loyal game at Wyoming. And then I think I think you open up league play um, at home against Houston. And I like the idea of playing back-to-back home games to start the conference season to get off on the right foot. Um, and so I've got Houston and Kansas coming in uh, to BYU. And I, I feel like, knowing who's coming back and all of that, they have a chance to, to start out 5-0 and with that schedule um, and, and to be feeling really good. Then I have them with a bye week right after that Kansas game. And the reason I want that, before they go on one of the long road trips of the year, before they go to Baylor – um, in Texas, they have a chance to have that extra bit of time to prepare. And I've also given them the bye week on conference weekend, you which and I think is, is always good. Yeah, Dave and I are the overthinking. We like to have our thinking. schedules clear for conference weekend. <laughs> yes, we do. And then and then Arizona comes in um, into Provo. I'm excited that they get to play Arizona at home to start, simply because I think Arizona may be the most talented team in the league coming back. Um, one of the newcomers, I realize, but man, they were on a roll and they have a bunch of really good players back, including their quarterback. So you get them at home and then you go on the road. And Jeremy, you mentioned that Arizona State is really in a rebuild and will be again this next year. And so so you go on the road to Arizona State um, and and then uh, I, I have Oklahoma State. Oh, these these are switched. I, I, I had Oklahoma State on the 26th. Um, and then, oh, uh, oh no, no, that, that that's right. At Arizona State on the 26th, Oklahoma State. No, that's right. That's right, November 2nd. And then I have a bye week before they take their next long road trip, the longest road trip of the year to Central Florida. I simply like the ability to have an extra couple of days to prepare when you have long travel that's in store for you because you really lose a practice or two when you go back to the East Coast. And Kalani's philosophy is, a day for each time zone. So when they go back to the East Coast, they'll go back on Thursday instead of on Friday. That's why I want that by before Central Florida on the road. And then they finish up with Kansas State on the 23rd of November and Utah at Utah on Thanksgiving weekend. I think Kansas State's going to be another really good team. So I like them in the cold weather, late in November, at elevation in Provo. Um, and so, so that's my lineup. It's it's five games out of the out of the shoots. A bye week conference weekend. Um, pr- prepare for Baylor on, on a long road trip during the bye week. Then you get who I think may be the best team in the league, Arizona, um, on the road or at home, on the road at Arizona State, winnable game. 
I, I don't know. I, I look at this and I'm like, man, could they start out, you know, six and two to start out the season? Could they be bowl eligible? I've set the schedule up this way because I think they can be bowl eligible without a lot of pressure going down the stretch to get bowl eligible. Um, and that was a big monkey on their back in those last couple of games this last year. I, th I think they're bowl eligible much earlier in the season this next season. And mark it down. I think they're going to be have one of the top two defenses in total defense and scoring defense in the Big 12 this next Let's year. Let's go. Mark that down. We're marking it right down right now. You know, all these projections are awesome, and they're they're based on a completely healthy team, both both for BYU and the and the teams right. that they'll face. So we've got that, and then hopefully we get the league schedule next week, and then we'll kind of compare and see uh, how it stacks up with how we thought. Let's move to the other league, uh, the basketball league, which uh, we are right early into, but it's, it's a madhouse all over the place. Last night we watched UCF beat Kansas at home. UCF hosts BYU on Saturday. UCF was picked 14th. BYU's picked 13th. Uh, we kind of figured this would be a win for BYU. What did you see last night, and did it change your opinion about what the challenge is on Saturday? It, it more confirmed – yeah, it, does, it definitely changes my opinion, but it more confirms what we've been talking about, Dave, all through this preseason about this league, and that is that any team in this league can beat any other team in the league if they shoot the ball and take care of the ball, right? And so you look at Central Florida. They go on the road at Kansas State. And they lose by 25 points, um, but they shoot 33% from the field and 23% from three. So they were miserable shooting the ball. They turned it over. Um, Darius Johnson was the only guy that was in double figures at, at 10. Um, and they just they just had struggles scoring, right? But then they come home. And, and when they're comfortable at home, they, they shoot just under 43% from the field. They shoot 35% from three, which is respectable. Um, they, they force 18 turnovers from Kansas, which I think is the big key. And they have three guys in double figures. Johnson gets 17, but but their big guy, um, you know, Diallo, the seven-footer, has a big contribution with 13 and five. Um, Sellers com comes off and leaves him with 18. So they've got a really good guard line that can attack the basket. Um, they can score. They can get to the free throw line. Uh, so it, it confirms what we were thinking, but even more so, and that is – any team in this league at home, when they're shooting the basketball and taking care of the ball, can beat any other team in this league, including Kansas or Houston or Baylor. Um, I was not discouraged by BYU's Baylor performance. I was discouraged by their Cincinnati performance. Baylor turned it over 18 or 14 times, which is not crazy too many, but but the kind of turnovers where they resulted in 18 points off of turnovers, they got to clean that up a little bit. And they got to be a little quicker on the rotations, especially against the Central Florida team, who's not quite as quick as Baylor, so that they're not fouling when they help and reaching and putting Central Florida on the line for 14 more times than BYU gets to the line. You clean up those two things, you can, you can go win on the road at, at Central Florida. BYU shot it well on the road, 49% at Baylor, so they're capable of shooting on the road. They got to clean up those those little things. They got to take care of the ball, and they got to guard better without fouling. And, and they can come out of there with a win, and then they get, you know, then they get to come home. Certainly, the urgency is there because if you don't beat UCF on the road, you've got an Iowa State team that just beat Houston coming in Tuesday. Texas Tech looks really good. Then Houston, who might be the best team in the league, I don't know, with Kansas and Baylor, there's a lot of good teams. Texas, West Virginia is the lowest ranked team in the league, but on that the road. is that is a hard game on the road. You got to go two times. They're over. good. Yeah, the, BYU has to win. 
on Saturday. Just no question. Got to show up and get it done. Yeah, and 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 I do think they. I felt like they made a job. I felt like they were almost like Dave. You and I were talking about this the other day. They felt like they were a little bit in a panic against Cincinnati at home, the home Big 12 opener. Maybe the environment got to them, right? And Cincinnati played loose because they sure seemed like they were rushing shots and they were in a hurry. And I love the adjustments that Mark Pope made. Um, he basically said to this team, listen, yes, we're a three-point shooting team, but you know what we are? We're a good open-look three-point shooting team that shares the basketball. Go ahead and take 35 threes that are come in our offense. Don't dribble into 46 threes and take a bunch of contested threes. We're, we're hunting open threes, not hunting threes, right? There's a big difference between hunting open threes and just hunting threes. And at Baylor, you know, they only had 26 three attempts because they took threes that were open and they made the extra pass and they were more patient and, and they were in that game even – with the fact that Jackson Robinson doesn't seem to be quite back yet, and they're still trying to figure out how to play through and with Foose on the floor. But he was significantly better in that game. I think he takes another step forward, and you got to get guys like Noah Waterman to just chill out, calm down, and make his open shots. I, I think BYU still um, has more potential to reach, and, and if they take a step forward, they have a chance – it's funny because the ESPN matchup indicator, even after what's happened this last weekend, they still have BYU going 11 and five down the stretch, which blows me away. I don't have them 11 and five, but but that's all based on analytics. And ESPN has them going 11 and five to finish out uh, of the season. That would make them 11 and seven in conference. Man, I would be happy with seven mm. and 11 in conference. Yeah, for sure. Amen to that. And uh, BYU really needs it on Saturday. Blaine, as always, we appreciate the time. We'll explore more of the art in your house the next time you're on. Beautiful. We'll do a different angle, and we'll do somebody else. We'll and would you, would you get a shovel and go out and help Brenda for crying out loud? There's a lot of you know snow what? out there. I told her I was going to be on for 45 minutes, so hopefully the driveway's done. <laughs> well Blaine, played. Thanks, man. Thanks, Blaine. See you guys. BYU women back at the Marriott Center on Saturday. They're still hunting for their first yep. win in the Big 12. Cincinnati's coming to town. Coverage starts at 6 Eastern with Spencer Linton and Kristen Kozlowski on ESPN+. Jason Shepard will have the call on BYU Radio. Coming up, an update on Dawson Baker's foot. It's a ball night for men's volleyball, and where is Jackson Robinson in the latest NBA mock draft? This is BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. On BYUSN, would a men's hoops win over Baylor tonight make up for the loss to Cincinnati? Big game in Waco. We'll visit with Jeff Hansen of 24-7 Sports about the impact of signing four-star safety Falatau Satuala and BYU's recruiting ranking of seventh best in the Big 12. Takes one to know one. Former BYU star Austin Collie is here to talk about Puka Nakua's incredible rookie season. We'll also look at how his record-breaking year stacks up against all the former Cougars who've enjoyed time in the NFL. Hey, playoffs this weekend. Let's go. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Tuesday, January 9th. I am Jerem Jordan. He is hoping to uh, cope with the end of the college football season. Dave McCann. You know, I don't love this day. I, I don't love when it's over. <laughs> I know. Because we, we enjoy Sorry. the game so much, even though it's the busiest, 
most stressful time of year, from when we start our pregame stuff to, to the very last game. Uh, but it's such an awesome time of year. And maybe the reason it's so great is because now there's this long layoff mm -hmm. until it comes back. I the agree. NFL's found a way to stretch it to yes. half the year. Which is, now we can focus on the NFL yeah, playoffs for the next But month. there's something magical about college, and I yeah. think it's the, the separation. Uh, and then once August comes around, we don't care that it's 100 degrees. It's just We're ready. all ready to go. In fact, so if they started college football a little earlier, now that the playoffs are going to bleed into like the middle of January, I'd be fine. Like if the yeah. first game was the last week of August, fantastic. I love that the Cougars are playing August 31st because it go. does make it seem like it's like it's closer. How many days? Da, 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 da. I, I don't know how many ways, but <laughs> we have done the away, countdown 200 yet. something or other. Last night, Boney Fuller, who is back apparently, um, I loved this tweet. This made me chuckle. Washington finally learning that beating Michigan for a national title is harder than they thought. Great <laughs> reference to 1984. Washington finished second in the country at 11-1, beat Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. They felt like they should win the national title right. in 84 if you had beaten said Michigan. Jim Harbaugh, by the, by the way, was on that Michigan squad. Yeah. Broken arm. They were as high as number three earlier in the season. He's sitting on the sideline. He's sitting on the sideline. Sometimes that happens. He had a great view of last night's national title <laughs> and BYU's national title. Yeah, poor Washington. <laughs> Well, now they're in the Big Ten. And then there was, so, there's always Cougar fans at all these things. And, and one of the great things about Cougar Nation is they represent. Absolutely. Whether it's Disneyland, the, the mall, or the national championship game. And here's Ryan sporting the, the Royals Rappin'. right down there in the good seats. Rapping. Let's go. I love that. That's awesome. By the way, there was a rumor report that a college football 2024 EA Sports game was going to have a commercial in the broadcast. And so there were people that never saw it and were like, Yo, what happened? <laughs> they were bummed. I am excited about that game at some point, though, coming out. Oh, it's supposed to be next year. Been gone for a long time. That'll be fun. Yeah. Fun fact, Brian Logan was on the back of the 2009 cover. Not the front, the back. <laughs> but he was on he's, it. He's on a cover. And I think uh, someone from Oklahoma is making a catch or something. So, oh, yeah. So you can ask Brian about it. Might that. have been a, a defensive pass interference. <laughs> but perhaps at the goal line. They did get a goal line uh, stop there, though, which is pretty good. Okay, all rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. Now, another one! Stolen away by Baker. Around the back twice. Hands it to Johnson. Atiki throws it down! Atiki Aliup Atiki. What's Trending is presented by Vioi Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Tonight, the only game in America tonight between two ranked teams is BYU at number 18, Baylor at number 14. First ranked matchup of the Big 12 season. It's exciting. Cougars looking to rebound Dave from a loss Saturday to Cincinnati. So, would a win tonight over Baylor on the road make up for the Cincinnati loss? Absolutely it would. And, and because you lost at home, you got to go find one on the road. So, first and foremost, it would, it would accomplish that. You, you get one back that, that folks probably didn't think you were able to win. Now, they could also get one at UCF on Saturday in a, in a matchup that might be Is that expected? more conducive. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're picked 14th, BYU's picked 13th. Yeah. So just on those numbers alone, you think that one. But tonight, uh, with Baylor, and Baylor's tough, and BYU struggled on the road last little bit. Uh, just one true road game this year, but you dive into last season, they lost their last five, so yeah. last six. Uh, did okay in Vegas, won that, but then on a neutral site. Uh, away from the Marriott Center, but but now they're into the hostile stuff, and it's going to be really, really interesting. The thing that I like about BYU's chances tonight is the numbers are supporting this team as being good. 
Uh, it's not just the goggles of, of hey, they're in the they're 98 in the net. We're trying to convince you that they're 20th. This is oh, this is the, these are the numbers, right? <laughs> and uh, they they go in. They're still the number one three point shooting team. They still top Baylor in rebound margin. They're still the number one assist to turnover uh, team in the country. They're still in the top five in bench scoring. All of those things that quantify a decent yep. team. Yep. They're still that. And was was Saturday just kind of a bad night? Or does that team with those numbers go into a road venue and surprise Baylor, who fully expects to win? I uh, completely agree. It would absolutely make up for the Cincinnati loss. Does BYU need to win tonight? No. BYU needs to play well, though. No. We need to see an improved team. We cannot see anything remotely close to what we saw Saturday, or it's going to start to get weird. But you have to win at UCF regardless of what happens tonight, by the way. You've got to walk out of the first three with at least that one win. If you can get one tonight you certainly feel differently about things. Because guess what? Through the first three games, we were hoping for 2-1 and one anyway. This is an expected loss. In fact, let's look at some of the numbers. Baylor uh, out of Vegas, 3.5-point favorite. Ken Palm, 44% chance to win for BYU. One-point game, according to Ken Palm. ESPN matchup predictor, 33% BYU. So, he's not supposed to win this game. It's in the new sparkling, and there's some great numbers, right? New sparkling $212 million Foster Pavilion. And uh, it's the first Big 12 game in there, second game total uh, ever, right? Um, the Baylor beat Cornell, uh, ever heard of them? And uh, here we are. So this is now watching Baylor on Saturday against Oklahoma State. They went on the road. They they won in overtime. There's some athletes. There's a lot of length. It's the number one three-point shooting team by percentage. They only made two threes on Saturday, by the way. Yeah. Did not make a lot of threes. They shoot a lot. They rebound really well, though. Hit the gla offensive glass uh, hard, 16-5 to five advantage there. That's a place where BYU needs to show up. BYU was the number one rebounding margin team walking into Saturday, and they got kind of worked on the boards. If BYU can win or barely lose that battle, they're in the game tonight because I don't expect the three-point shooting to be as bad as it was Saturday. But BYU can go in, and they can win this game. There's some NBA. Jacoby Walters, the best freshman in the league. He leads Baylor in scoring. Ray J. Dennis, familiar name. He played at Boise State when they beat BYU a couple years ago. Went to Toledo. Now he's at Baylor. You'll see the ball in his hands a lot. BYU needs a win against, uh, against Scott Drew and Baylor, by the way. Scott Drew 3-0. They met, obviously, in the Marriott Center back in 2011. They met in the NIT in uh, 2013 in the semifinals. But this is a game that BYU has a better chance in than you think. I, I think if the regular BYU that we've seen, and I'm not talking the one that like makes 15 threes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking they make 11 threes, but they rebound well and they defend well and they get to the free throw line a little more and make that. BYU can absolutely be in this game and or win it tonight. I could also see what happened Saturday happen again because of length and better defense, but I don't anticipate BYU to shoot the three as poorly as they did Saturday. Baylor's not as deep as uh, Cincinnati, where Cincinnati was just rolling in tall guys and uh, and Baylor, I think, played seven guys against Oklahoma State. And, and Caleb Lohner, not very many, played a couple of minutes yeah. all game. The former BYU Cougar. See him tonight again. But Baylor is 77th in the country in defending the three. Mm. And BYU's number one in the country in shooting the three. So like to, making and taking. Yeah, to yep. win the game tonight, yep. it's the three-point line. Yep. Uh, Foose is still coming on. He's not at full speed. It'll be a couple weeks. It's uh, mano a mano down there, advantage just about every team in the league. Yep. Out on the arc where you can line up four or five different guys, um, that's where you can go on the road and steal one. That's where you can win tonight. And you're playing a team that, that hey, we got to defend the three tonight. we got to defend the three tonight. Got to be in the face of Jackson Robinson, all those guys. 
but there's 77th in the country and actually going out there and doing it. So there's the, there's the window in, I think, tonight. Can BYU create better three-point opportunities? Some of those were forced, not only forced by the score in the game, hey, we've got to make a play, we've got to make a shot right now, but can BYU get to the rim and create a two-on-one where they find that open shooter and they take open threes? Like, Trevin, well, any Trevin Nell three was a good three uh, on Saturday, even if it was forced. Um, but even that, hand in his face, that's a tougher three. That's a wide open three. There are different kinds of three-pointers, by the way. But can BYU match the length and physicality of Baylor? Uh, Eve Misi is a good rebounder, one of the best shot blockers in the country, uh, third in the Big 12. He's a presence on the inside that BYU's sure. got to deal with. Can Ali Khalifa continue to do his thing? He equaled his turnover yeah. account on Saturday, and we were like, wow! He still had six assists. He still was still number one in the country. He's still number one in the country. <laughs> but it is, it is a matchup that BYU, who is top 20 in all the metrics that matter in terms of offensive and defensive efficiency, points per possession, and allowed, Baylor is 94th in points allowed per possession, uh, 70th in defensive efficiency. Can BYU's offense, which has proven that it's really good, uh, play against Big 12 competition? And now it's a step up in Big 12 competition, of course. Baylor, it goes Kansas, then Baylor in the pecking order of quality in the Big 12 the last several years. BYU can, can uh, challenge Baylor, though. 62-6 and six at home in the last five, 11-3 and three against ranked teams. They win, and they win at home. But even to Baylor, it feels a little new in that gym because sure. it's a brand-new gym. I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say that if BYU has a player who's made nine three-pointers, he's staying in the game tonight. <laughs> he won't sit for 550 consecutively? Out. No, he is going to stay. In. Even if he's exhausted, he's staying in the game. And Jimmer Fredette made a great point uh, yesterday. Uh, if, if Trevin Nell sits for that long, why not get a Jackson Robinson going a little more, right? Um, which Jackson is still kind of – coming off that ankle a little bit and yeah, hasn't he, looked he the same as right. yeah so and and what's uh, you know Dawson Baker how's that foot because he's a guy who can create off the dribble get to the free throw line uh, he was top 200 in the country and drawing fouls last year so we'll see what version of BYU shows up tonight but it, I want to see a better version of BYU compete better I, I would tolerate a loss on a, the road against a ranked team if you play well if you get if you get blown out though there could be some massive issues discussed tomorrow. Do what you do. You get off to a decent start, yep. take care of the ball, pass up good shots Rebound. for better shots, and you got to hit your shots. You're all good shooters. you gotta, you got to hit the shots. It's still 10 feet. I think we can stare at the rebounding margin and know what happens tonight. Yeah. Not just threes. I think threes are obvious. I think less obvious is rebound. Yeah. So we'll when, see. Hey, when you're missing, uh, what did they miss? Uh, they were four of 31 from three, not named Trevin. Yeah. Those are a lot of rebounds. And Trevin Those shots five, go in. So, Cincinnati yeah. doesn't get those rebounds. Yep. But there are balls bouncing all over the place. Yep. All right, our, se our second topic today about Pukunakua. We've been thinking about that, as has everybody. Hopefully the voters of the uh, Rookie of the Year are thinking about Come it. Come on now. Uh, but did Puka just have the best NFL season ever from a former BYU player, not named Steve Young? I, MVP. I think among skill position players that are easier to quantify quality, like defense, you can't just look at tackles, right? You've got to look at a lot of other stuff. And, and uh, you know, there have been other linemen who had tremendous, tremendous seasons in the NFL. Just looking, just thinking about skill positions. I think so. Like Steve Young had the top X, what, you know, top five seasons of anybody in, right. in the NFL. He was unbelievable. The only pro football Hall of Famer. Austin Collie was really good, right? He had three years of 70 or more catches, 500-plus yards. 
but he never had a season like this. Right. Like, his, his he wasn't season. used like this. His rookie season was great. He had 60 catches and seven touchdowns. He was awesome. Puka had 105. Yeah. And, and Austin had more Austin touchdowns had than Puka. had 600 and something yards. Puka had 1,400 and something. And it's, Crazy. it's, it's 2023, and uh, Cooper Cup was hurt for a bit. Yeah. And that was the opportunity that Puka needed because they were like, whoa. We can throw the same amount of targets to this guy and get similar production. So the fact that Puka goes ninth in catches in the league, fourth in yards, and fifth in first down catches, by the way, let alone breaks the rookie record. I think so, Dave. I think we saw, uh, through the regular season, the best season by any BYU Cougar in the NFL ever, any position, not named, Steve Young. It was incredible. You know, what, what else made him great was the side stories and his post-game interviews. And, and his, his hair. His, his, his hair, his, <laughs> his, his, uh, his relationship with his mom. Yeah. Everything about Puka Nakua uh, this season in the NFL, uh, on the field and off the field, has been such a giant positive for the Nakua family, for the Rams, and for BYU. And uh, you, you can't buy that kind of PR. You can't go out and order it. It just gets created. And every Sunday, or at least almost every Sunday, he was doing something. And then when he's doing interviews, there's this boyish honesty that comes from him that, uh, that, that just brings you in. Now, we know him, so we're brought in that way. But almost like a Taysom Hill with, with so many people around the NFL who've come to know this guy, Puka's done it one season. Um, but he's just so endearing uh, as he's done it. And I think that's what has made him so popular. That's why 17 jerseys are all over the place. Yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, Otani shows up and he's yeah. wearing 17, right? Literally. He's wearing 17 because he's 17. But uh, he's also wearing 17 because, uh, you know, a little Puka Nakua there. Sure, we, we'd, we'd like to think that. Um, what, what a story. And there have been some great seasons. I could see the argument for any of the previous two All-Pro seasons from Fred Warner, who is pacing for a Hall of Fame career. Sure. Todd Christensen had some um, unbelievable years where he led the NFL in receiving... Um, you could argue for that Ziggy Ansah uh, being an all-pro player, 14 and a half sacks in the game. I, Jim McMahon, the right. quarterback of a Super Bowl-winning team, right? Granted, a lot of handoffs to Walter Payton that year. They didn't still. ask him to throw. But you're still the quarterback He's of a, a Super Bowl-winning team. Of that, yeah. Dennis Pitta helped uh, you know, the Ravens win a Super Bowl, and, and 2016 for Dennis was his best year. But he, no, we don't have time for him on the show today. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, what we've seen from Puka uh, has been nothing short of incredible. But will he win the Rookie of the Year? Like what? Why wouldn't he? Because C.J. Stroud certainly feels like the, the other competitor there. Quarterbacks seem to get the, the attention, the yeah. upper hand. Have you listened to the NFL commentators over the last couple of weeks? It's all been, well, and Stroud making a case for that rookie of the year because he got his team in the playoffs, mm-hmm. the Texans. Yep. Um, I, I, he's probably going to get it, but, but Puka has a case uh, of, of, of that he should get it. I, yeah, I could see the argument for, uh, of course, Stroud, but hey, Puka's our guy. Puka's we, our we're guy. a little biased on this one. <laughs> our question of the day, back to men's hoops. Would BYU men's hoops beating Baylor tonight make up for the Cincinnati loss? Brian on X, you can weigh in on X, Facebook, and Instagram. I don't know that it would, that it would make up for it, but Saturday was an expected win. Today's an expected loss. Uh, coming out of the first two with a 1-1 one one record puts you on track for a 9-9 or 10-8 finish, which is the goal. Brian, I think it absolutely makes up for it because what 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 is what, what gets you more value? Um, uh, the 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 home loss. Uh, what what's what, is that as bad as it is good? No, this would be a ranked win on the road. Quad one win on against the, road. the team. Yes, it's a quad one. Uh, there are going to be a lot of those. This is a team that won the national title two 
two years ago, two and a half years ago. Like this well-respected program. I, uh, I feel like it absolutely would. I think you do too. Continue to weigh in. I, I want to hear from people that don't think it is. Like Brian, let's go. All right, it is showdown Tuesday here in Waco, or over there in Waco, Texas. Number 18, BYU. Number 14, Baylor. Cougars looking to steal one on the road. Greg Rubel, Mark Durant, Ben Bagley. Our live coverage starts at 8 Eastern on BYU Radio. Jeff Hansen of 24-7 Sports tells us next about four-star safety Falatau Satuala and where BYU might need to hit the transfer portal for next season. This is BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear are what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. with the TD. And he's going down for the first time tonight. Tyler Batty. Retzloff. Roberts. Touchdown, Cougars. It is picked off of the 40. Touchdown, Jacob Robinson. We are live in Studio B on this Tuesday morning with the day-to-day Cougar Sports play-by-play. Dave McCann, I'm Jerem Jordan. We now bring in from 24-7 Sports Jeff Hansen to talk all things recruiting and signees. Jeffrey, how we doing, man? Doing well. How are you guys this morning? We're doing good. We got a ranked matchup in basketball. We got football to talk about. So it is a good day for a daily sports show. Uh, okay, Saturday it was a big deal that BYU signed four-star safety Falatau Satuala. He announced on national TV. Apparently, this had been in the works because BYU had the graphic ready and whatnot. He had signed in the early period. What did his signing mean for BYU in this class, and what does he bring to the table? Man, it's huge. I mean, for, for the class, it's kind of that gold star on top of the, the class so far, right? I mean, there's still some more additions, I think, that we'll see from the high school ranks and certainly from the transfer portal. But the class so far, Falitao, he really is that gold star. He's the cherry on top. It, it's a huge deal. Uh, I first saw Falitao play live. I think it was his playoff game, his junior season. They ended up losing to Orem. There were some really special players on the field at that time, guys who ended up at Oregon and some other big schools. And without a doubt, Faletau Satuala was the best athlete on the field that game. And when I watched him, it was like, whoa, that's a guy, he's a difference maker. He has a presence about him that reminds me of when I covered Pukunakua at Orem High School. I mean, he just is that big time of a playmaker. And for now, all these years later, I think, you know, what has it been, 18 months since I saw that game, for BYU to sign Faletau Satuala, to add him to this mix of, of really talented players that Jay Hill's putting together on the defensive side of the ball, it's a huge deal. I mean, think of what Pukunakua brought to BYU. I think this is the defensive version of that type of impact mm. for BYU. And really, right away, I think he has the ability to impact the defense uh, almost immediately after he gets on campus. The Big 12 is now 16. So we already got a math issue right out of the gate. Uh, <laughs> your service has BYU with the seventh best recruiting class, seven out of 16. Why so high? BYU's done really well with the high school players that they haven't got in the past. I mean, you look at guys like Satuala, you look at a Reiner Swanson, Danny Saili flipping from Texas Tech. BYU's done really well with the junior college and, and high school players. There's been, I, I think there's a couple of factors there that play into that. There's been a lot of attention nationally on the transfer portal. And if you look at what Jay Hill has done, 
He added a bunch of transfers last year as he kind of like mixed and matched and figured out what his roster needed to look like. But this this recruiting cycle, it doesn't seem like he's as transfer portal heavy. Jack Kelly is still there. Uh, Mark Collins is committed. So there's still a couple of guys that have committed out of the portal, but he's getting guys that are coming from high school or coming from the junior college ranks that are going to stick around for a few years. And that seems like what what uh, what Jay wants to do. So while so much of the country is focused on the transfer portal, Jay Hill's kind of looking somewhere else and saying, hey, there's some junior college players that are going to make a big time impact for me in Provo. And nobody's really looking at them. It, it's kind of what Jay's always had to do, right? When he was at Weber State, he had to look where others weren't looking to get talent. He's got a knack for that. And I think he's done that again in this class for BYU. And that helps because when you're going toe to toe with certain transfers, a lot of those guys want uh, money. And BYU, uh, while it's trying to get better in that space and, and has done fine, it might be take a sec before BYU is one of the elite teams in terms of paying guys. It's not what BYU is about. They want a certain kind of guy, and it seems like they're doing better at getting that kind of guy. But back to sort of impact freshmen out of high school. Typically, you don't have too many that come in and play right away. You mentioned that Satuala could at safety, and certainly you hope you don't have to go to the well like BYU did this last year. But we saw some freshmen playing this year. Who do you think is the most likely among the class to perhaps get some playing time Maybe starting, but probably not as in the two deep. Yeah, so for me, I look at I look at that impact freshman question. I always look at it kind of like I look at my fantasy football roster. Like, what makes a good fantasy football player? You've got to have opportunity as much as you have to have talent, right? I mean, you could be a really really good running back, but if you're behind another really really good running back, you're not going to play. So I look at, at what BYU's roster looks like going into next year. That safety position, there's going to be an opportunity for guys like Tommy Prassus and for Falitao Satuala to come in and earn early playing time. Now, that's not to say that BYU is completely devoid of talent or anything like that. Michael Harper's coming back, Raider DeMooney. I mean, there's, there's all those guys that played, Crew Wakely, Tanner Wall. They're all still there. But there wasn't anybody who was healthy enough for 12 games that you look at them and you have them immediately penciled in as an absolute starter, no questions asked. Micah Harper probably could be that guy, but he's coming off a major injury, so you don't really know if he's going to be able to play. Uh, Crew Wakely, had, you know, he was up and down throughout the year. Tanner Wall got hurt. Raider DeMooney, still young. There's going to be opportunities for Satuala and Prasis to earn early playing time, and I think that Tommy Prasis, especially – as a free safety, where BYU has so many strong safeties in the room right now, I think that Tommy, he's going to have a chance to earn early reps. And then when Falitao gets here in the summer, he's just such a special athlete. It's going to be really hard for Jay Hill to keep him off the field. Now, what does he do physically? Uh, Falitao could end up moving up and playing linebacker. He could play any number of different positions. But I think his athleticism, Jay Hill's going to have a hard time keeping him on the sideline. Jeff Hansen, 24-7 Sports. All right, now let's talk about the question everyone wants answered. Uh, in the arms race with Utah, now that BYU and Utah are back in the same conference, and the Utes have had 13 years of recruiting to a P5, and BYU has had one. This recruiting class that you've ranked seventh in the Big 12, how does it stack up against the rivals to the north, and, uh, and, and how long will it take for BYU to catch, if not pass, in their overall recruiting efforts with Utah? Yeah, so Utah still, I mean, they don't have the quantity that BYU has right now in, in the class of 2024, uh, but they still probably have a higher quality player right now, just broadly speaking, across the board. So BYU still has work to do. There's, there's no sense in trying to hide behind that. 
What I think BYU learned this year is with a guy like Satuwala, with uh, with Ephraim Asiata, some of these other players, uh, Kinilau Fonahema, that, that BYU was able to win the head-to-head battle against Utah. I think that this coaching staff gained some confidence. And I think that's the biggest thing that has been missing in the equation for, uh, of BYU versus Utah on the recruiting trail. Yes, BYU, you know, they haven't been power five and Utah has. Yes, Utah has more resources and all of those things. All of that is still true, but that's going to just naturally and organically even itself out. One, Utah, I think, has to adjust how they've done things. They're not going to be able to do things the exact same way in the Big 12. So they're learning and they're adjusting, and, and so is BYU. So I'm not worried about that aspect of it. The biggest gap is that when Kyle Whittingham and his coaching staff go and they sit into the house, into a, a living room with a recruit, they don't feel threatened by BYU, or at least they haven't over the course of the last decade and change. I think that changes with this class because BYU won some head-to-head battles, and this coaching staff, Kalani, Jay, I mean, really, Aaron Roderick, the entire staff knows that, hey, we don't have to be scared of Utah anymore. We can beat them head-to-head. And if they lose, there's still other talent that they can go and get. You heard Kalani talk about it a little bit on signing day, that they learned that hey, they don't have to shy away from the big boys. They found a pitch that works. And when they flip guys from uh, you know, flip guys from Stanford or they flip guys from Texas Tech and they beat Utah head-to-head, that's a big deal that this this coaching staff needs confidence too. And I think this coaching staff got a whole lot of confidence that they can now parlay into a better class in the future. If you're scared by a dog, that's what uh, that's what I say. Okay, <laughs> where does BYU need to hit the portal ahead of next season? Yeah, I mean, quarterback is obvious. They, now they, they, they did pick up a commitment from Gary Bohannon. Uh, I, I like that commitment for BYU. Uh, I, I think that he brings something different than what Keaton Slovis brought last year, and it really is is, is mental. Uh, Keaton Slovis came in and was immediately the starting quarterback. Gary Bohannon's not going to immediately be named the starting quarterback. He's not going to be handed the job in the spring either. So I think throughout this offseason, Jake Retzlaff, guys in the room like like uh, Ryder Burton, Cade Finnegan, and Gary Bohannon, they're going to have to compete. They're going to have to push each other to get better. And I don't see Aaron Roderick naming a starting quarterback probably until fall camp starts. I think that's good for the locker room. I think that that competition is going to be good for every quarterback on the roster. They still probably need an offensive lineman or two, and I could see BYU still looking. I mean, running back, I think, is obvious. And, and then maybe a defensive back or two. Gennaro likes to have that kind of depth at his cornerback position, and I think that BYU, even with the addition of Mark Collins, I think they could still potentially add one more cornerback uh, to give to Coach Guilford so that he could fill out his depth chart. Good stuff. Go check out uh, Jeff Hansen on 24-7 Sports covering the Cougs. We appreciate the time, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. See ya. Jeff Hansen, 24-7 Sports. Always good stuff, man. A lot of storylines for spring ball now. You know, especially I, that quarterback. The best spot. thing for content creators like Jeff and us is a quarterback battle. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the best. Well, we got one. <laughs> and we look forward to it in March. Tonight, or tomorrow night, BYU basketball with Mark Pope. He and a player guest will recap tonight's game against Baylor. And look ahead to UCF on Saturday afternoon. You can see it 8.30 Eastern again tomorrow night on the BYU TV app. You can also get tickets for the show at BYUSN.com. They're busy. They play the game. They fly back tonight. They'll be back for tomorrow. Why they they'll just leave. go straight to Florida? They'll leave because they got the Pope Show, Dave. <laughs> Coming up, it's a ball night in Waco. An award for Luke Benson in volleyball. 
And how many way too early top 25 college football teams do we think BYU will beat next year? Have this is seen, BYU Sports Have you seen our forecast and Florida's forecast? <laughs> I have. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation live from Studio B. The camera angle's back uh, on the right Welcome level back. here. Everything's good. Uh, let's go. Love the deep blue features that we have on the program. And today we feature Townsend Triple, whose faith and family have allowed him to grow up in all the places that he grew up. His decision to not play on Sundays led him on a path here to BYU, where he's making a positive impact on his teammates and coaches. This is Deep Blue. We built a house in North Carolina, and uh, there was a lot of storms that would hit North Carolina, hurricanes. And uh, Wendy and I said that our kids are gonna be part of that building process. So we had the kids dig the foundations and the footings underneath their bedrooms. And then we built the house on top of those. And it was very purposeful in that if a storm came, they knew that they had been through that tough part, but yet that had made the house stronger and it made them stronger and they could handle that storm better. I can't say two words about Townsend without talking about his family because he won't say two words about Townsend before he talks about his mom and his dad and the life that they've given him. His dad is an Air Force pilot. Because of his job, we moved around quite a bit. And in regards to sports, when it came to us moving, that meant I was on a bunch of different sports teams. He would have to reintroduce himself to a whole new group of people, teams, classrooms, all of that every time we moved. And I'm sure that was hard for him. It forced me to, uh, to kind of connect with a bunch of different people. I would be on a team for a year or two and then I'd be relocated to another state and have to start over again. And so that meant I had a lot of clean slates, but it also meant that I didn't have an established um, kind of support group. And because of that, it also made me really close to my family because they were my constant support and my number one fans from day one. And it's just second nature to him now where he just rolls in and says, this is what I've got and this is where I need to go and he does it. I had heard about this kid from, that had moved in. My first impression of Townsend is just a goofy, long kid standing on the court. He literally stole a half-court pass and went down and just tomahawk dunked it on a guy. And then they tried to inbounds the pass. He, kept, he caught that pass, too, in the corner, turned around, nailed a three from the corner, and just jogged back. And I was like, I mean, this kid's like, what, 15 years old at the time. And I thought, oh. That kid's gonna be good. But of course, in the competitive nature of sports, there's always gonna be people that are trying to put you down. There was a guy that when I was training in Townsend, this guy would come over every time we were down there training, and he said, James, this guy will never play Division One. This guy will never play Division One. And I'm sitting right there, and he just addresses that, and he tells me that. I kind of think, well, okay, like, I appreciate you telling me that because now it gives me a little bit of that fire, but that's not my sole drive because I know my worth. I know I'm gonna put in the hard work. Get up early in the morning to go practice, to stay late after practices, to do whatever he needed to do to prove that that one guy didn't know what he was talking about. 
he was a big time basketball player. Like he, his sophomore, junior, senior year was putting up big time numbers and was getting recruited. And he, he has such devotion for his faith. And one of the tenets of his faith is that he doesn't, you know, he keeps the Sabbath day holy. And for him, that meant not playing basketball on Sundays. It was definitely a time for me to develop that testimony and that faith, just trusting that he would bless me, whether that meant it was in basketball, whether that meant I would be healthy, whether that meant I wouldn't see those blessings until the next life. I'm gonna keep training you know, my heart out and still play Friday and Saturday, but I just won't compete on Sundays. And so a lot of the club teams didn't like that. They wanted me to play on their teams, but they wanted me to play on Sundays if I was gonna be on their A team. Um, because again, the Sundays were the championship games and they didn't think it was fair for me to come in and, um, and play. And then on the championship games, the championship days leave. Eventually, the concept, as, as, as the kids got better and better and there were more of a group that didn't want to play on Sundays, we eventually just decided, what if we just created a team that didn't play on Sundays and use that as our recruiting tool? We called it Reppin' because we were repping our high schools, but then we changed the name to 6543. If you break up the syllables, it's 65 for three because all the guys on the team, we we're at least 6'5 or taller. So everyone had an opportunity to play at point guard, wings, forwards, posts, all the different positions, and kind of develop their skills as all-around basketball players. It's just a bunch of kids that chose to do the right thing together as a team. And if that was forego games on Sunday, if it was just being better kids than they were supposed to, they kind of banded together and did that. But as often goes, you know, you make choices like that. It's a faith choice, and every faith choice has consequences, good and bad. And there were some good consequences that came out of this one. You know, he kept, he kept at it and he was at the right place at the right time when he had a great game and Coach Pope was in the stands. He has unbelievable belief in himself because he knows who he is and he's okay with being who he is right now because he has a clear vision of who he's gonna become. He's a very growth mindset young man and that is why he is so special. Where you're like, yup, this young man is built different. He understands sacrifice and something bigger than himself and living to a standard, the three things we care about in this program. And when we see kids like that, we believe that they can become anything. And certainly he's proving that to be the case. In my time in sports, Nike had just come out with this phrase, just do it. We always had uh, this friction a little bit with just do it being a one-time thing. And so we modified the phrase to keep doing. Don't just do it once or twice, but keep doing it. So keep doing Townsend. Deep blue with Townsend Triple. He's a guy that uh, comes in off the bench at the end of games, be always winning big and uh, has an impact. And in practice, he's part of that practice squad that gets these guys ready. And cool to see his story, man. The backgrounds that build these kids are so fascinating and uh, love to see them. Great story. Tonight, women's basketball are going to try to come up with their own story, looking for their first win in the Big 12. Taking on Houston on the road, Jason Shepard with the call 8 o'clock Eastern on BYU Radio. Were you more encouraged or discouraged from BYU's loss to Baylor last night? We'll hear from more of you after the break. This is BYU Sports Nation. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. 
The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation, live from Studio B. The camera angle's back uh, on the right Welcome level back. here. Everything's good. Uh, let's go. Love the deep blue features that we have on the program. And today we feature Townsend Triple, whose faith and family have allowed him to grow up in all the places that he grew up. His decision to not play on Sundays led him on a path here to BYU, where he's making a positive impact on his teammates and coaches. This is Deep Blue. We built a house in North Carolina and uh, there was a lot of storms that would hit North Carolina, hurricanes. And uh, Wendy and I said that our kids are gonna be part of that building process. So we had the kids dig the foundations and the footings underneath their bedrooms. And then we built the house on top of those. And it was very purposeful in that if a storm came, they knew that they had been through that tough part, but yet that had made the house stronger and it made them stronger and they could handle that storm better. I can't say two words about Townsend without talking about his family because he won't say two words about Townsend before he talks about his mom and his dad and the life that they've given him. His dad is an Air Force pilot. Because of his job, we moved around quite a bit. And in regards to sports, when it came to us moving, that meant I was on a bunch of different sports teams. He would have to reintroduce himself to a whole new group of people, teams, classrooms, all of that every time we moved. And I'm sure that was hard for him. It forced me to uh, to kind of connect with a bunch of different people. I would be on a team for a year or two and then I'd be relocated to another state and have to start over again. And so that meant I had a lot of clean slates, but it also meant that I didn't have an established um, kind of support group. And because of that, it also made me really close to my family because they were my constant support and my number one fans from day one. And it's just second nature to him now where he just rolls in and says, this is what I've got and this is where I need to go and he does it. I had heard about this kid from that had moved in. My first impression of Townsend is just a goofy, long kid standing on the court. He literally stole a half-court pass and went down and just tomahawk dunked it on a guy. And then they tried to inbounds the pass. He kept he caught that pass too in the corner, turned around, nailed a three from the corner, and just jogged back. And I was like, I mean, this kid's like what 15 years old at the time. And I thought, oh. That kid's gonna be good. But of course, in the competitive nature of sports, there's always gonna be people that are trying to put you down. There was a guy that when I was training in Townsend, this guy would come over every time we were down there training, and he said, James, this guy will never play Division One. This guy will never play Division One. And I'm sitting right there, and he just addresses that, and he tells me that. I kind of think, well, okay, like, I appreciate you telling me that because now it gives me a little bit of that fire, but that's not my sole drive because I know my worth. I know I'm gonna put in the hard work. Get up early in the morning to go practice, to stay late after practices, to do whatever he needed to do to prove that that one guy didn't know what he was talking about. He was a big time basketball player. Like he, his sophomore, junior, senior year was putting up big time numbers and was getting recruited. And he, he has such devotion for his faith. And one of the tenets of his faith is that 
he doesn't, you know, he keeps the Sabbath day holy. And for him, that meant not playing basketball on Sundays. It was definitely a time for me to develop that testimony and that faith, just trusting that he would bless me, whether that meant it was in basketball, whether that meant I would be healthy, whether that meant I wouldn't see those blessings until the next life. I'm gonna keep training, you know, my heart out and still play Friday and Saturday, but I just won't compete on Sundays. And so a lot of the club teams didn't like that. They wanted me to play on their teams, but they wanted me to play on Sundays if I was gonna be on their A team. Um, because again, the Sundays were the championship games and they didn't think it was fair for me to come in and, um, and play. And then on the championship games, the championship days leave. Eventually the concept, as, as, as the kids got better and better and there were more of a group that didn't want to play on Sundays, we eventually just decided, what if we just created a team that didn't play on Sundays and use that as our recruiting tool? We called it Reppin because we were repping our high schools, but then we changed the name to 6543. If you break up the syllables, it's 65 for three because all the guys on the team, we we're at least 6'5 or taller. So everyone had an opportunity to play at point guard wings, forwards, posts, all the different positions, and kind of develop their skills as all-around basketball players. It's just a bunch of kids that chose to do the right thing together as a team. And if that was forego games on Sunday, if it was just being better kids than they were supposed to, they kind of banded together and did that. But as often goes, you know, you make choices like that. It's a faith choice, and every faith choice has consequences, good and bad. And there were some good consequences that came out of this one. You know, he kept, he kept at it and he was at the right place at the right time when he had a great game and Coach Pope was in the stands. He has unbelievable belief in himself because he knows who he is and he's okay with being who he is right now because he has a clear vision of who he's gonna become. He's a very growth mindset young man and that is why he is so special. Where you're like, yup, this young man is built different. He understands sacrifice and something bigger than himself and living to a standard, the three things we care about in this program. And when we see kids like that, we believe that they can become anything. And certainly he's proving that to be the case. In my time in sports, Nike had just come out with this phrase, just do it. We always had uh, this friction a little bit with just do it being a one-time thing. And so we modified the phrase to keep doing. Don't just do it once or twice, but keep doing it. So keep doing, Townsend. Deep blue with Townsend Triple. He's a guy that uh, comes in off the bench at the end of games, be always winning big and uh, has an impact. And in practice, he's part of that practice squad that gets these guys ready. And Cool to see his story, man. The backgrounds that build these kids are so fascinating and uh, love to see them. Great story. Tonight, women's basketball are going to try to come up with their own story, looking for their first win in the Big 12. Taking on Houston on the road, Jason Shepard with the call 8 o'clock Eastern on BYU Radio. Were you more encouraged or discouraged from BYU's loss to Baylor last night? We'll hear from more of you after the break. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on 
after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. It is a Top 5 Tuesday. Top 5 Tuesday features the best single seasons by a former BYU player, but we're giving you max one year for the player. Otherwise, it would be all Steve Young. Yeah, it would be. Let's start with number five, Ziggy Ansah. What a story mm. Ziggy is. Uh, 47 tackles in 2015, all pro season. 14 and a half sacks. Van Noy's got nine this year, which is Pretty awesome. Good. Ziggy, 14 and a half. Unfortunately, he was playing for the Lions, so we didn't get into the Back when they weren't good. Back when they weren't good. Now they're good. Number four. Ziggy at five. Fred Warner. We're saying this year for Fred. He's had better numbers this year. We think he probably all pro. He's been all pro first team twice. 132 tackles, six TFLs, two and a half sacks, four interceptions, four forced fumbles. He's going to the Pro Bowl, and the Niners are the one seed. Good luck to uh, Fred. Number three, let's go old school with Todd Christensen. Mm. Remember Todd? He, he can run. He can catch. He was also almost pre-Taysom. He just didn't throw. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. He was amazing. 12 touchdowns. Uh, led the league in what he did best, yeah. and, and, and the Raiders were tough back. Rest in peace, brother. Number two, we're saying Puka Nakua from this year. How about that? Breaks the rookie record in receptions and yards. Six touchdowns. He's in the playoffs as well. Good luck to Puka and the Rams. Who's number one? Well, pretty obvious here. Steve Young is number one. Of course he is. The MVP. Look at this. Look at his numbers. Incredible. In 94 at 70%. That was ridiculous. And those numbers would be good now, let alone then. Niners chucking it. As a Seahawks fan, a little too much Niners in this list. Yeah, there but, was a lot. They earned their way in. But I agree with the list. <laughs> They're dynamite. Our question of the day. Would men's hoops beating Baylor tonight make up for the Cincinnati loss on Saturday? Our elite voice of the day is presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated. DFW uh, Coog on X. Yes, if you lose Cincinnati at home, you've got to go steal one on the road. Doesn't have to be Baylor, but BYU will now need to win a game or two. They weren't expected to win. All right. So and let's see if tonight. BYU can't win tonight. That's tonight. Why let's not? Go. It's Tuesday. Let's go. Why not us? Uh, it's Tuesday. <laughs> no way far, but we got a basketball That's game, what baby. That's we got. That's Today's Rise and Shout Out is presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. How about Cougar Nation showing up in Waco? Look at this. There's the fans before practice. Then they went into practice and took a great team photo. Yep. Uh, hey, ever been to Waco in a Big 12 game and, and you see some friendly faces as you get off the bus? That's awesome. This is not normal. Teams don't just show up in road towns and have a bunch of fans just waiting for them. That's amazing. That's Cougar Nation right there. Our thanks to today's guests, Austin, Collie, and Jeff. Conversation continues 24-7 on X Instagram and Facebook. This and all our shows are on demand on BYUSN.com. Sorry to Dennis Pitt, we ran out of time. Did I have time for Austin, though? Just saying. For Dave, I'm Jam. Shout out to Demarcus Harrison. Pre-game coverage of BYU and Baylor men's hoop starts at 8 Eastern on BYU Radio tonight. Go Cougs! BYU Sports Nation's on demand. Download the free BYU TV and BYU Radio apps to the podcast, and we invite you to subscribe, rate, and review our shows. Our question of the day, what does Saturday's game against UCF mean for BYU's men's basketball season? Sean Davis on Facebook. Best chance BYU has to turn conference play around a loss, and I hit the panic button. I hope we're not talking about Sean's that ready to hit the Monday. Yeah. Okay. Our Elite Voice of the Day is presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated. Bobby Daly. Bobby! On X. A win inserts BYU back into the wild Big 12 race. Looks like the Big 12 champ will have five or six losses in conference. A win tomorrow helps keep the hope brought by a 12-1 preseason alive. 
It is a huge game tomorrow, as we've yeah. said. Yeah. Win tomorrow, win on the road, convince yourself you can do it because you've got other road games coming that are very important. But number one's tomorrow. It's uh, Iowa State Tuesday at Texas Tech Saturday, and it just keeps yeah. going. Today's Rise and Shoutout is presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. Best of luck to the eight women's soccer players who declared for the NWSL draft. Again, Mozingo, Felino, Shepard, Wade Katoa, McCarthy, Smith, Griffiths, Vaca, Boren. Best of luck to them. I said at least three get drafted tonight. I could see where four, five, six uh, get picked tonight. Would that be the most in school history in one draft? The most is, uh, I think, one or two. Really? Yeah. So this could be, this would be a big night. It's not, the league hasn't been around forever. But uh, you got a handful of uh, really capable players in the league, so excited to see how many end up on the Utah Royals as well. Let's do it. Our thanks to today's guests, Eric Mika and Anissa Alvarado. Conversation continues 24-7 on X, Instagram, and Facebook. This and all our shows are on demand on BYUSN.com. It is a full weekend of Cougar Athletics. We will recap it coming up Monday on the program. For Dave, I am Jerem. Sorry to Dennis Pitta, we ran out of time. Shout out to Jordan Hayden. Go Cougs! Beat the Knights! That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.